This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... What remains to be seen is, is what happens as the population of Mali sort of figures out that things are getting worse despite everything. Burkina Faso, I worry a great deal about. Analyst Michael Shurkin of 14th North Strategies on worsening violence in the Sahel. Details coming up. Also, Russia's Wagner Group has established footholds in at least half a dozen African countries. Nigerian police are investigating an officer who fatally shot an unarmed pregnant lawyer. And Tunisian rights groups are accusing the electoral authority of threatening press freedom. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. The head of Egypt's Suez Canal Authority, Osama Rabi, says... The waterway is open to foreign investment, but he stressed that foreigners would have no control over its management or a proposed sovereign wealth fund to assist the authority with economic and investment activities. Rabi was responding to public criticism following discussion of a draft law in Parliament last week. Said Sadiq, professor of political sociology in Cairo, discussed with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El Shenawi whether that statement would calm down public anger over the law. As you know, the canal itself is a state property. I mean, this is strategic. It ships pass through the, the water, so it is not sold. But what they are discussing is nine companies that are owned by the Suez Canal, which are mostly losing a lot of money every year. And because of some public distrust of state policies, political institutions, due to several factors. One of them is the timing when the economy is suffering stagflation, devaluation of the Egyptian pound, rising debts, and talk of selling some state assets to Gulf states to solve the debt crisis. This factor is one of them that is making people distrust whatever the government is saying regarding this issue. Also, the national funds that were created are not supervised by parliament, and media did not prepare the public to understand why this new national fund for the Suez Canal companies was created. Of course, it is understandable that many of them were losing money. The argument was that they needed more advanced technology and administration coming from some countries like Japan or South Korea, but we did not see that those two countries are interested or will join any any of this fund. And to add more confusion is that President Sisi said today that this Suez Canal Fund will be owned exclusively by Egyptians. So what is the point? If you wanted to improve the technology of the Suez Canal, better administration, why are you getting Egyptian fund and Egyptian investment? Why not to go immediately for those countries, Japan and South Korea? And so there are so many questions that are raised by this declaration of the Suez Canal Fund than answers. And up to today, we see different conflicting views. And that's why the public opinion is confused and distrusting of what is being done regarding this fund. 
Earlier last week, Egyptian lawmakers held a session addressing legal amendment that would allow the Suez Canal Authority to form a private fund with a capacity of $4 billion, allowing foreigners to invest in the Suez Canal companies. That sparked widespread condemnation among some lawmakers, as well as Egyptians on social media, who said that if approved, it would allow foreigners to buy and own shares in the Suez Canal. Mohammed Abdelalim Daoud, a parliament member from the new one, party said the fund would effectively empty Egypt of its money and represented an imminent danger. Can you explain why? The Suez Canal uh, used to bring the Egyptian treasury almost $5 billion a year, but now it has reached almost $8 billion due to the Ukrainian crisis and rising demand for imported Gulf oil and gas that causes the Suez Canal. So the suspicion is that the government has not been successful in calming down public distrust in the new project. And it reminded them again of being taken aback without any preparatory media to hand in the two islands in Sinai, Tehran, and Sanafir to Saudi Arabia. And so they just feel that this could be another game and it would affect the history and uh, possession of the Egyptians who fought for many years over uh, protecting and and keeping the ownership of the Suez Canal. They understand that the regime may be interested in uh, meeting external demands for paying debt and that they are willing to do anything. And that's why they are alarmed by such uh, talk and such projects that do not seem to be clear enough for them to approve. That was Saeed Sadiq, Professor of Political Sociology, speaking with VOA Senior Analyst Mohammed Al-Shanawi. Bur- the government of Burkina Faso says a roadside bomb killed 10 people and injured several others in the eastern part of the country. The Associated Press says a minibus was traveling near the village of Bogi on Sunday when it hit a mine. The injured were taken to the hospital in a main town in the east, Fada Gormu, but the rest of the passengers disappeared. The government is looking for them. The AP says the attacks followed a landmine explosion on Saturday in the east that killed five soldiers. The news service notes that six years of violence linked to al-Qaeda and the Islamic State group has killed thousands in Burkina Faso and displaced nearly two million people. Nigerian police say they are investigating an officer who fatally shot an unarmed pregnant lawyer after she left a Christmas church service. A spokesman for the Lagos City Police vowed the investigation would be swift, but critics say Nigerian authorities are not doing enough to stop police brutality that sparked 2020 protests. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria. Police in Lagos condemned the Sunday shooting and say they're holding the officer and his teammates in detention pending the outcome of the investigation. Spokesman Benjamin Hundain said the case is being handled by the Criminal Investigation Department for in-depth analysis. He said police will reappraise the rules of engagement to avoid future incidents. The victim, Omobolanle Rahim, was on her way home from a Christmas Day service when the officer shot at her family's vehicle at a checkpoint in Aja, killing her and her unborn child. The motive is unclear, but according to local media, the officers were conducting a stop-and-search operation. 
The incident has triggered widespread criticism of the police and Nigerian authorities by citizens and rights groups, including Amnesty International. On Monday, Lagos State Police authorities met with the leaders of the Nigerian Bar Association, NBA. Hussein Afolabi is a human rights lawyer. The, the only reason why you have to use your firearm is if somebody is harmed. There's no reason, there's no justification for that kind of shooting. It's, it's just unfortunate. I don't know whether they're going to do any drug tests for that guy, whether he's drunk, whether he's high. What was the guy's mental state? Nobody knows. Afolabi has been trying to help four families that were victims of police brutality in Oyo State including the family of Jimo Ishiak, who was allegedly shot and killed near his house by officers during the widespread protests against police brutality in October 2020. For two weeks that month, activists marched in the streets calling for authorities to disband the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, or SARS, or dismiss its members from the police force. Nigerian authorities said they were disbanding the unit, but Afolabi says two years later, the officers are still employed. Were they retrenched? They said they're disbanded. Where are those people? They are somewhere. They're no longer SAS, but they're somewhere else. I have people who are friends who are SAS. They're still in the Nigerian police force. NSAS protest leader Renu Odwala says the government lacks the political will to address police brutality issues. The Nigerian government is the major perpetrator of police brutality against its own citizen, its own citizenry, and you can see that today. This has shown that the Lagos state government and the Nigerian government has lent nothing, and they're not willing, you know, to address the grievances of police brutality protesters. Amnesty International says the police investigation must be impartial and made public. Many will be waiting to see how or if justice is served. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. VOA. As we approach the end of year 2022, VOA wants to give you, our loyal listeners, the opportunity to wish your loved ones a happy new year. Call us on our WhatsApp number 202-258-3076. Leave a brief message and listen for it right here on VOA. The number again is 202-258-3076. Let VOA help you bring cheers and blessings to friends and family by just calling 202-258-3076. Reuters reports that Niger has announced an outbreak of the highly contagious H5N1 strain of the bird flu in poultry. A statement by the Paris-based World Organization for Animal Health says avian influenza has been found in a village in the southern Tahua region. The group cites information from Niger authorities that says most of the 4,920 birds in the flock have died with the remaining birds slaughtered. It's the first outbreak of the virus in Niger since July 2021. Reuters notes that parts of Africa have been affected by a wave of bird flu infections over the past years, which has led to the deaths of more than 100 million birds in the United States and Europe alone. 
You're listening to Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. The French news agency AFP says Tunisian rights groups are accusing the electoral authority of threatening press freedom. This after the board sued bloggers and media outlets for alleged violations during a poll on a new constitution. The Elections Authority filled two dozen complaints against media organizations and bloggers for attacking the dignity of voters, spreading false news and receiving foreign funds. AFP says the offenses took place ahead of last July's referendum on a new constitution backed by President Kais Saeed that strengthened presidential powers at the expense of the parliament. In a statement today, 28 organizations said the electoral authority had targeted freedom of expression and was acting like a police force censoring public opinion and the media. Tunisia's one-million-member UGTT union says it will occupy the streets with mass protests against the government's proposed austerity budget. Reuters says the government aims to reach a deal on a nearly $2 billion financial rescue package with the International Monetary Fund. Part of that effort includes reducing its fiscal deficit from an expected 7.7% this year to just over 5% next year. That will include cutting subsidies for food and energy by over 25% and raising taxes on several professions, including lawyers, engineers, and accountants, from 13% to 19%. The UGTT union says the administration of President Kais Saeed has increased the suffering of Tunisians. Fighters from Russia's Wagner Group have established footholds in at least half a dozen African countries. The Central African Republic, Sudan, Mali, Burkina Faso, Libya and Mozambique. Alex Vines, chief of the Africa program, as well as regional studies and international security director at Chatham House has done extensive research on Wagner Group and tells me that it has infiltrated Africa, but in his opinion, it does not have the skills nor the ability to really provide the sort of security that African countries need. It cut its teeth originally in Syria, but also uh, in the Ukraine. And then in the very last years of the last decade, it was involved in a number of African countries, particularly Central African Republic uh, in Sudan. And I've done research on it in in Mozambique. It was there in 2019, very unsuccessfully. It's very visible in Libya and in Mali. Is it an appendage of the Russian government or is it an independent entity on itself? No, it is linked to the, the Russian state. So Mr. Prizhogin, who uh, it, it has been nicknamed Putin's cook, uh, is intimately involved in this. Very visible now in, in terms of the, 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 the Russian invasion war in Ukraine. And Wagner is an important auxiliary force for Russian military activities in, in Ukraine currently. So what we have been also seeing is a decline of Wagner activity in the African continent because of the need to use Wagner in the Ukraine war. So, so that's also happening. 
So, Alex, can we call them mercenaries? Well, they're private military company. If they are linked directly, they are and Russian nationals to states, then maybe you can't define them as, as mercenaries. They tend to have Russians, yeah? So if they're operating in Ukraine as a kind of war effort, as an auxiliary, then you might see them as a paramilitary militia group of some sort. In Africa, you you know, there, there is a gray area of whether they're mercenaries or whether they're security consultants. So, you know, there's a debate about that. But they do clearly conduct mercenary-like activity. Are they there to contain Islamist militants who operate in many parts of these countries? As the, the, the case that I'm most familiar with and done my own research uh, and, uh, through Chatham House here, it is the Mozambique case where Wagner failed. It was a failure. They withdrew. So they were deployed uh, in 2019. Uh, and the business case that was pitched to the Mozambique government authorities was that Wagner, with its experience in, in Syria in particular, could contain and uh, neutralize uh, an Islamic threat. The reality was that they were completely out of their depth, uh, and a number of uh, Wagner uh, operatives were killed, uh, some by friendly fire. Um, in a kind of controversial situation, uh, and so they withdrew, and they're not in Mozambique at all since the early 2020. Now, that's a very different story from Mali, where Wagner uh, was invited in and has been gap-filling now and providing security where, where the French had been providing security through their Operation Bakan that doesn't exist any longer. And, of course, uh, as your listeners will be aware, the international contributions to the U.S. Operation, peacekeeping operation, MINUSCO in Mali, uh, a number of those are being downsized and, and withdrawn. So Sweden, the United Kingdom, Germany, uh, Turkey, just to name a few, um, Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire. And lastly, Alex, uh, President Akufo Addo of Ghana said that uh, mercenaries are in the northern border, Burkina Faso, and they have entered into an arrangement and he said uh, Burkina Faso has seeded a mine reportedly with gold reserves near the border with Ghana in exchange for the yes. group's services. I, I, I heard what uh, President Manu Kufuabu of Ghana said. The military junta in Burkina Faso has denied that. They say that's not correct. We'll have to see. My opinion is that Wagner doesn't have the, the skills, the experience and the ability to really provide the sort of security that is needed in these countries. And so we're likely to see a continued cycle of, of, of violence and maybe uh, more instability, including more coups. That was Alex Vines, chief of the Africa program, as well as regional studies and international security director at Chatham House, talking to me from London. Countries in Africa's western Sahel region, including Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger, saw a 50% increase in deaths due to conflict in 2022. That is according to figures from the Armed Location and Event Data Project. As violence has spread, so too has Russia's influence and political instability with increasing coups and numbers of displaced people. Henry Wilkins reports from Niamey, Niger. As the Western Sahel conflict entered its 11th year starting from Mali's 2012 coup, violence grew worse. 
Data from the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project show around 9,000 fatalities due to the conflict in 2022, up from about 6,000 the year before. Analysts say many in the Sahel countries are exhausted by the worsening conflict and they are looking to new international partners for solutions. Some in the region, like Bacharu Wadrago, a painter and decorator in Burkina Faso, believe Russia will remedy Burkina Faso's insecurity. He says Burkina Faso has been partnered with France for years. If France really wanted to help the country with terrorism, they would have done it long ago. If you partner with someone who doesn't help you take care of business, you have to get rid of them and find someone who can. That's why we think we have to pivot to Russia. 2022 saw France wrap up Operation Barkhane, its military intervention based in Mali, as it became increasingly unpopular and relations with Mali's military junta began to deteriorate. France is now moving much of its military operation in the Sahel to Niger. In Mali, French troops have been replaced by mercenaries from a Russian paramilitary organisation, the Wagner Group, which has been accused of human rights abuses and of fueling more violence than they prevent. In Burkina Faso, pro-Russian and anti-French protests and attacks on French-owned institutions and businesses have become commonplace since the second military coup in a year took place in September. Both the Malian and Burkinabi hunters cited the previous government's inability to solve the insecurity. Asked how the Sahel's conflict could develop in 2023, analyst Michael Shirkin of 14 North Strategies told VOA. What remains to be seen is, is what happens as the population of Mali sort of figures out that things are getting worse despite everything. Burkina Faso, I worry a great deal about. I think given the scale of the problems of Burkina Faso, I think they need a lot more international help. I like to see the U.S. government getting more involved, trying to help the Burkina government. Analysts have also noted that an increasing number of terror attacks are taking place in the northern regions of Ivory Coast, Ghana, Togo and Benin, along the borders with Burkina Faso and Niger. Press freedom has dwindled, according to advocacy groups, with international broadcasters and journalists being banned from Burkina Faso and Mali. Meanwhile, local rights groups and press freedom advocates say human rights continue to suffer too. Dauda Diallo runs a Burkinabi rights group, the collective against impunity and stigmatisation of communities. I have to say very clearly that since January, it must be said very clearly that since January to the present day, we've noted great sadness and bitterness as the security situation has continued to deteriorate. Running parallel to this deterioration of the security situation, there are human rights violations, he said. In Burkina Faso, the new junta says it's recruiting 30,000 extra civilian volunteers to fight terrorism. But rights groups say the volunteers are carrying out many rights abuses, playing into the hands of terrorist group recruiters. In all, more than 2.5 million have been displaced by the Sahel conflict. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Niamey, Niger. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Cornelius Tanner, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.
This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM stations. 